everyone, welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It reads, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? As we continue to walk here through 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul kind of gets to a new type of tone with the church here. I call it the spiritual sarcasm. He kind of really changes the way in which he is addressing them to say, hey, let's just assume that everything you have said is right. And we get a little sense of what he's trying to correct as he walks through this. And as we focus in on that today, let's really focus in to be what is the center of his argument. Let's assume that everything that you have said is correct. And then let's compare that with reality for the true servants of the Lord. So we pick up in verse 8 and he says, hey, already you have all you want. You become rich. And we hope that you're actually kings. And we want you to be doing those things, to be ruling. But let's talk about how the true servants of Christ are, and then goes on to explain how he and the others who are truly following Christ are living. And so there's some aspect of what these people are saying that is saying that they have gained this wealth, this material possession, and these different things in terms of status. If you've been with us through the Revelation series on Sunday mornings, you'll see that there's kind of a pattern here and a resemblance to the image that we see in the description of the church of Laodicea, especially verse 17 of chapter 3. We see there this description of a self-sufficient church. They say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, but they're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's the similar thought of what we see here with what Paul is addressing here at the church in Corinth. 
he is showing them the way in which what they are saying is drastically different than the reality for the true followers of Christ. Because it was not that they were supposed to be reigning as kings, but instead they're to be seen as fools for the sake of Christ. Because the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God is not seen eye to eye. These people that he's addressing are making claims that are claims that the world would value. And Paul says, hey, that's not the case for the true followers of Christ, especially currently in this situation that he's in. He says, we're fools, but you're wise. We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we're not. He's saying all of these things that you are claiming are against what the reality is. And he says, hey, I'm not really trying to do this to make you ashamed. And I think that that's important. When we talk about Paul correcting this error, he wants them to understand the truth and he desires them to pattern their life after that. He wants them to see that he's not just coming to do this to punish them or to to put them aside or to say that they're no longer useful to the gospel, but he wants what is broken to be mended. He wants what needs to be fixed to be brought back in alignment to the gospel. And so he's willing to confront and he's doing that for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. He doesn't want them to continue to go down this road of error because the further they get away from the gospel, the further they get away from the truth that's been given to them, the more that that will cause confusion and the more that that will cause greater division to the cause of the gospel and the glory of God in that area. And so as Paul addresses that here, this spiritual sarcasm that he does so with uh, is kind of a real cutting way to do that. It's a way to be strong with his rebuke, but also to be honest, to also tell them that if they want to claim those things, that's fine, but that claim no longer has a stake in the gospel. That claim no longer is relevant for what's going on. And so as we think about ourselves today, are we trying to put ourselves into a situation where our life is patterned after the values of the world, or is our life patterned after the values of God? When we want to hold ourselves to the standard of what we see the world values, we must understand that doing so will forsake our claim upon the gospel. If we're saying, hey, I want to have everything I see in the world, that means that we don't really want to have Jesus. We don't really want to have the cross. And we need to understand that if we're saying that we're self-sufficient, that we have all that we need, that we're rich, which are claims that the world values— If we're saying those things, then what we're really saying is I don't value the truth of the gospel. I don't value the fact that it means that I'm not going to have everything, that it means that I will need to rely upon God for my daily provision, for the grace that he will give me to get me through each moment of my life, and that he will use me in that state rather than in my own perfection because he desires to use the weak of the world to display the foolishness to the wise. So as we look at a question from this passage, one of the things that I always think is interesting is the fact that people always want to claim that the Bible talks about there being no judgment needed anywhere. And so this is one of those passages where it talks about judgment and in terms of Paul saying, hey, I don't even judge myself because I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. So what is he really saying? Hey, there's no use for judgment. I don't even have to do it to myself. When we look into it, he's actually saying the opposite. There is judgment. 
and it's the Lord who judges me. I always think this is an interesting thing in terms of just even my concept and how I grew through an opportunity to see what judgment was seen and what that means, and especially in this context, that God's judgment is the one that is that that matters. I remember that I watched a movie one time and there was this real hardened criminal and he had this tattoo across the back of his shoulders and it said, only God will judge me. And so he's in the jail cell and he's like doing pull-ups and he's just ripped and shredded and this is this majestic tattoo across this guy's back. And essentially what he was saying is the world doesn't have any ability to tell me what I've done is wrong and it's only God is going to be the one who judges me. Unfortunately for that guy, I think that God is also going to judge everything that he did in terms of the violations of what he had done in terms of willfully sinning and continuing to be the one who is doing that. And so his tattoo, while it might seem to be something that you might say is, oh, that's super spiritual. Yeah, God is the only one who has the judgment that matters. Basically, he was saying, hey, I have no value for the human court system or anything else that's there. And so when we look at scripture, we see that that's not the case. And when we look at this passage, we see that really the judgment of God is the most important, but other people can see the same things. Paul says, hey, I'm not aware of any of these things, but that doesn't mean that it's not necessarily true. And so God's judgment is the one that matters. He brings this up because he's going to be, in a sense, judging the people that he's writing to. He's going to be calling out the errors and the sin in their life. He's going to be displaying and shining the gospel truth in light on this situation so that people can see with clarity what's really happening. And by doing that, he is judging, not not judging, like some people will say is the case in what should be done. Paul says, yes, the Lord's final judgment is the only one that matters, but before that comes, there is an opportunity for us to give insight and to look with clarity on situations and to help correct where we see error, to help rebuke when it's needed and to help strengthen and support the cause of the gospel. And so when we look at these different situations, when we look at the rest of the teaching of Scripture, we need to take maybe some of these thoughts that we hear thrown around all the time and align them to our Scriptures. Is that really what it's saying? Is that really how we're to understand it? And I think that in this passage, you'll see that that is the case, that this has a real true meaning that is far different than what people are saying in our time. And so as you examine your life in light of the scriptures that we're reading today, as you talk with others, hopefully they can help provide that clarity. Hopefully you have people in your life who can tell you when you're living wrong and can tell you the way in which you need to reform and retrace your path so that it's more aligned with what God is desiring you to do. And so when they do that, it's not that they're really trying to judge you. They're correcting. They're helping to mold you. They're sharpening you. They're bringing you back into a right relationship with God so that you can enjoy the fellowship and communion that you have with him so that you can be used in the greatest way for his kingdom and glory purposes. As you attempt to do that today, know you are loved. You're-